Good morning, everyone. Today's Bible reading will be coming from Isaiah um, 6, verses 1 to 7, as well as 1 John 2, verses 1 to 6. So if you'd like to open up to Isaiah, we'll be reading um, chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him and sorry, shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now if you'd like to turn to 1 John, we'll be reading chapter 2 verses 1 to 6. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this may we, sorry, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. It is good to see you guys, and um, thank you for um, just the the care that many of you have shown me as well. Uh, I was away last week and and did genuinely miss you, um, and uh, got messages checking how I was going, and had number of people this morning asking, are you better now? Yes, I am better. Uh, Last week I had a uh, a fever. It was really weird. Um, But uh, thankfully that's all gone. It was COVID negative, uh, and so... Glad to be back with you this morning. Now, uh, today in our series of five traits of a biblical church, we've looked at gathered, speaking, giving, and this morning we look at pure, a pure church, a church that is that is all about purity or uh, holiness. Uh, both of these words are fairly interchangeable in the Bible, a uh, church's purity or a church's holiness. And um, this week I was just rereading part of this book, by J.C. Ryle. Have any of you seen this before? Aspects of Holiness. Uh, I actually bought this book um, back off, uh, a while ago off Sky uh, when she was running the uh, bookshop at her old church. And I remember it was mentioned in the sermon and I went up and saw the price on the back, $3.50. and thought that's a pretty cheap ticket for getting her attention. So, right? <laughs> Walked up all nervously. I'll take this one, thanks. And, uh, you know, just like that, we were married. Um, actually it, it, it is a helpful book and it looked helpful at the time and I've found it helpful since <laughs> yeah no that's right uh, and, and in the back of this book um, J.C. Ryle mentions four things the title of the, the chapter is what our times require of us as Christians and he mentions these four things the third one 
is this. I'll put it up on the screen for you. The times in which we live require from us a higher standard of personal holiness and an increased attention to practical religion in daily life. So just to grab a few phrases there, a higher standard of personal holiness and practical religion in everyday life. Christianity that makes a difference to our lives. And the reason for that, he says, is since the days of the Reformation in 1500, so 500 years ago, there has never been so much failure to follow a high standard of Christian living as now. Do you think that's true? The irony is J.C. Ryle wrote these words like 120 years ago. Do you think it's more or less true now than when he wrote it? More true, I think. And uh, there was an interesting survey by the Barna Group um, a few years back, and they asked three questions of people, just generally. They asked these three questions. Is it possible for someone to be holy regardless of their past? Do you know someone you'd describe as holy? And would you describe yourself as holy? I wonder how you would answer each of those three questions. Uh, Amongst non-churchgoers, so just general population, here's how they answered each of those questions. And I'll, I'll put a stat up there that indicates what was the percentage of people roughly that said yes. So to that first one, amongst just general population, is it possible for someone to be holy regardless of their past? About 75% said yes, which uh, on the face of it is is somewhat encouraging, isn't it? Um, Do you know someone you describe as holy? About 50% said yes, which if you think about it, is probably a little bit concerning because most people on this survey will have known someone who would classify themselves as a Christian, um, and yet half of people say, I don't know anyone that I would consider holy. And then the last question, would you describe yourself as holy? About 20% of people said, yeah, that's me. So general population, it's probably not too surprising. Um, But then they isolated from the survey results those who do regularly go to church, those who would say that they are a Christian, And for the first question, is it possible for someone to be holy regardless of their past? There was no difference. 75% of people said yes. For the second question, do you know someone you describe as holy? And we would hope for this to be much higher because this is people who are at church. Again, no difference. It was like 48% versus 53% or something like that. And for the third question, would you describe yourself as holy? Only about 30% of regular churchgoers on this survey said, yes, I would describe myself as holy. Now, there may be all sorts of reasons for that, right? All sorts of reasons. How do you define what holiness is? I don't feel like I reached the bar, uh, or whatever the case may be. Um, But just one thing that this survey indicates is that it seems going to church or calling yourself a Christian doesn't make a lot of difference today as to this concept of holiness, at least when people answer a survey question. And so when J.C. Ryle says something like, this is what we need now more than ever because standards have lowered, I'm inclined to agree with him. I wonder what you think. Um, Which is why this trait of the church, holiness, a holy church, a pure church, is so important. I think that's for two reasons. Uh, Firstly, it's important for us because, you know, again, what difference does being a Christian actually make? If it doesn't look any different to the world, then is it actually true? Uh, Do we have any assurance that the faith we have in Christ is actually real? That's the first reason. The second reason is that if the world looks on and, and we're claiming to be a church that's on about holiness and purity... And the world sees, well, no, that's, that's not actually what you are. They're going to run a mile, right? They will despise us as hypocrites. That's how important this stuff is. So uh, I think it's important for us now to look to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help to have ears to hear what he wants to say to us through his word this morning, eyes to see what he wants to see in our church. 
um, and, uh, and a readiness just to listen to him. Does that sound good? Great. Let's pray. Lord, please do um, guide us this morning as we open up your word together. We need you. Um, we need you to, to break through to us and to speak with uh, resounding words that point to you as a holy God and point to who you want us to be now that we are in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at this in three parts this morning. A holy God, a holy life, a holy church. So a holy God, a holy life, a holy church. And if, if you think about it as like, uh, we, we want to look at the purity or the holiness of the church, but that's kind of the top level of this building where a holy God is the foundation. A holy life then is built on a vision of a holy God and a holy church really is the summation of a group of people saying, I want to live a holy life set apart to a holy God. Does that make sense? So hence we'll take it in those three parts. And so first, a holy God. Now there are lots of words we could use to describe God, aren't there? Um, just give me a bit of feedback on this. What's one word you would use to describe God apart from holy? That's cheating. What's another word? Sovereign, righteous, a wondrous, sorry, said Kim, yep. Omnipotent, so all-powerful, yep. What else? Omniscient, he knows all things. Pure, yep, pure of heart. There's no evil in him. I reckon, sorry, what, what was that one? Loving, yeah, thanks, Carrie-Anne. I actually reckon if you asked the average Aussie or even the average churchgoer, perhaps, to finish the sentence, God is blank, how do you reckon they'd finish that? God is love. I reckon most people would finish that sentence, right? And the Bible says that. God is love. He is love. He is the very picture of what love actually is. He is essentially love, of course. Which is interesting though, because when we take a look at this passage in Isaiah chapter 6, and uh, have it in your Bibles if you, if you can, Isaiah chapter 6, we get this rare glimpse at God described from a human point of view. And is it God is love? Because I think a number of people have a picture, when, you, when they say God is love, they're not just saying, oh yes, that's one of the things God is. Um, what they're saying is love is the center and these other qualities of God, holiness, purity, righteousness, sovereignty, omniscience, etc., are kind of all around that. But, but love is the center or love is the top. But here we have Isaiah saying, verse 1, I saw the Lord. He has a vision of God in his glory, right? The glory of God laid bare before human eyes. And he's surrounded by angels who are calling something out. Do you see that there in verse 3? They are calling out, holy, holy, holy. It's interesting. They're not calling out love, love, love. That's the Beatles, not the Bible. <laughs> right? They're calling out holy, holy, holy. Not kindness, kindness, kindness but holy, and the sound of these words shakes the place like an earthquake. I wonder what you would do if you were there as there's this earthquake happening around you, these angels calling out holy, 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 and think about that word. What does holy mean? Give me some feedback on that. What does holy mean? What do you understand that word to mean? Pure? Pure? Set apart? Sinless? Sinless? Yeah, good. Um, yeah, if we want to try and, and define it, just like if you look it up in a Bible dictionary, what does it say? It says, yes, yeah, set apart, um, distinct, separate from. That's what it means to be holy. And so these angels, as they're surrounding God, are saying, you are set apart. You are distinct. You are separate from something. Separate from what? Probably at least two things. Firstly, he's set apart or distinct from creation. And he's set apart or distinct from evil. So creation and evil. He's separate from creation in the sense that he is unlike any created thing. 
and there's a guy, uh, A.W. Tozer, who wrote some time ago, who, who gave a, a really interesting illustration of this. He said, consider the difference between a caterpillar and an archangel. And we don't talk about archangels much these days, right? So just, just think angel, right? Not like cute little Philadelphia cream cheese, whatever, right? This is, this is, this is the sort of being that when someone would see it, the angel would have to say, do not be afraid, because <laughs> they would think that they're about to die. All right? So think angel, now think archangel, the leader of angels. Caterpillar versus archangel, says A.W. Tozer. Consider the contrast. Right? You could accidentally set, uh, step onto a caterpillar. You shouldn't accidentally step onto an archangel. You probably couldn't. Right? Caterpillar, and here's an artist's rendition from the Renaissance, just like curb stomping some guy on the right, um, presumably a demon or, or something. Um, massive contrast between these two things. And what A.W. Tozer says is the contrast between all of creation and God is not like the contrast between a caterpillar and an archangel. He says it's not like this because you're still comparing two created things here. The contrast between God and all creation, you cannot actually make in a way that our minds can wrap our heads around it. Because the distance between God and a caterpillar is exactly the same as the distance between God and an archangel. Do you get what I'm saying? Because it's the difference between somebody who is infinite, somebody who is eternal, and something that is finite, something that is created. God is in a category of one. There is no one else like him, no leader on earth, no famous person, no successful person, nothing in all creation can at all measure up to God. It's not just the difference of power or of scale or of size. It's a difference of type, created versus uncreated. And so when we say that God is holy, he is distinct from all creation, get a sense of his majesty in that. He's also distinct from all evil. Hebrews 12.29 says that our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And it was about this time last year that we were starting to get very nervous about fires, weren't we? If you remember this, before COVID and before all that 2020 brought, uh, we were nervous about bushfires on our doorstep. We were getting ash in our front yard. Um, our God is a consuming fire. Fire is a, a horrendously scary thing that at the end of the day, we can't control. If it gets to a certain level, it's just going to rip through and burn. God is a consuming fire against evil. He is zealous for a universe with no evil, no corruption, no impurity. This is what God is going to do to evil. And that's, I think, why Isaiah sees this vision of a, a holy God set apart from all creation, set apart from all evil, on that throne, everything's shaking. And then in verse 5, he says, Woe to me. Woe to me, because I am a man of unclean lips. He realizes it's not just evil out there that has to worry, it's evil here. I'm a man of unclean lips. Before this pure, holy God, I'm a dead man. He's going to bring his fire against me, and I am gone. Now, of course, God is holy, and he is love. It's not that one of those qualities is in the center and the rest are around. He's thoroughly holy and thoroughly loving, completely both. And so in Isaiah's vision, God sends this angel to come down and to touch his mouth with a, a hot coal, right? And, and what it's showing is that fire has the power to destroy, but also to purify and to cleanse. So God comes and cleanses Isaiah of his sin. He brings forgiveness. He says, now your sin is atoned for. And the same is, is true for us today, of course. You know, our sin, our rebellion against God also incurs his fiery wrath. This is what we deserve, to be burnt up. I know that's confronting, but before a holy God, 
That is what we deserve for having ignored him, rejected him, rebelled against him, the king. Except he then sends his own son in love and puts him in the firing line. Jesus takes the fiery wrath of God on our behalf when he dies on the cross. This is what a loving, holy God must do to save us. And we need him to save us because he is holy. I wonder, how does that picture of God sit with you this morning? Does it unsettle you? Does it confront you? Are you apathetic about that? Is it just, eh, I don't care? Is it that you don't agree? No, that's not my God. I wonder what you do when um, uh, Rhonda was praying before and she's mentioning words like glory. She's mentioning words like holy. What happens for you when we're praying those words? Uh, In a moment, um, after I'm done preaching, we're going to sing a song, Only a Holy God. And the first verse of that song says, Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Think about that. Who else? Who else can make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and darkness trembles? Only a holy God. Um, Do those words, when we sing those, just like wash over you? Like, oh, that's a nice tune. (laughs) Or is this a truth that sort of settles upon you? melts you perhaps in some way when you actually think about who this God is. This God of terrifying power, infinitely above us, completely set against evil. There's real gravity to this. And I'll be honest, if you have a picture of God where there's little room for his holiness, like maybe it's all love and nothing else, then the rest of his sermon is going to make no sense. Right, <laughs> And what we're trying to do actually as a church is going to make no sense to you whatsoever. Um, like I said, understanding God as holy is this foundational piece and then that leads to a holy life. A holy life. I'm just going to quote something from the Old Testament here. Uh, Leviticus, which uses the word purity over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's a, word, a, a book that's obsessed with purity. And it mentions this in Leviticus 11.45. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This sentiment is, is actually repeated another two times across Leviticus. You shall be holy as I am holy. I've saved you from Egypt. You're my people. I've saved you. So be holy like I am. Be holy, set apart, distinct as I am. And we might say, well, that was, that was Old Testament, that was law, and now we're under grace, so we don't need that. Except, yeah, well, we do. <laughs> and, and First Peter actually uses exactly the same phrase. Take a look at this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the guy who was closest to Jesus, Peter, right? Who knew what it was to to walk in grace. And he's saying, you be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Since I've made you children through faith in Jesus Christ, now live a holy life. But how can we do that? How can we be holy? In one sense, we already are, right? It's like that moment with the the coal coming down to Isaiah and God says, "I, I cleanse you, I purify you from your sin. If you have faith in Christ, that is now true of you. Your sin is not on you. God remembers it no more. You are forgiven. You are under his grace. You are a holy son or daughter of God. And that is a wonderful truth to celebrate. It means you can stand confidently before a holy God. He is a consuming fire, but he will not consume you. How good is that? That's one side. But if God has done that for us, then we know him to be holy, so go and live a holy life. 
And Peter mentions passion, so our feelings, our attitudes, our goals, as well as our conduct. He doesn't just say some of our conduct, but all of our conduct. So you see, this is everyday life. He wants everything to be set apart for God and the way that he wants it to be. And I wonder how that sits for you. Uh, maybe you feel a little bit like the kid who just got his report card, right? And, uh, and you're trying to look through the envelope to see what the, the grades are, but you already know what they are. <laughs> Mum and Dad want to see A pluses. They're not A pluses. <laughs> they're, they're not. <laughs> and you get that sinking feeling in your stomach. Um, I was actually just talking with a friend this week who's a very switched on guy, really smart. Um, he's just started uh, doing some university study again and he got a uh, report back this semester where he didn't do nearly as well. He only just passed. Uh, he's used to getting high distinctions and all that sort of stuff. And he got that sinking feeling in his stomach. Maybe that's the feeling you get when you hear God wants you to live a holy life. But one thing to really clarify about what a holy life is not and um, J.C. Ryle actually makes this point, a holy life is not being perfect right here, right now. Right? God makes us perfect through Christ. He knows we'll be perfect in the new creation. He does that work. But between now and then is a process of growth. Okay? We all know that. Uh, we don't have to be perfect here and now. Think about Hebrews 11, um, the, the, the catalogue of people who are faithful to God. Right? Noah. That God looked down on earth and there was no one righteous like Noah. He had enough faith in God to go and build an ark for years and then step inside as God flooded the earth, right? Righteous, holy, blameless man who shortly after the flood subsided passed out drunk in his tent, naked, right? For his sons to come in and look like at the king of all bogans, right? Here's Noah blameless righteous man says the bible but still a sinner david a man after god's own heart but also an adulterer and a murderer paul right the super apostle who says in romans 7 the things that i don't want to do i keep on doing and the things that i want to do i don't do right so it's not sinless perfection that's going to happen in this life but we aim for that. We aim to be holy as God is holy and by his spirit, he helps us step by step. And there is real gravity around that. It's not we have to be A plus right here, right now, but there is real gravity. So consider these words from 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 to 6. And again, this is one of the men who knew the grace of Jesus, who walked with him face to face. Here's what John says. By this we may know that we are in him, in Christ. How can you know if you are in Christ? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is what holiness really is. It's, it's walking like Jesus does. It's learning to walk, right? We're given new life, new birth into a new hope, and now we learn to walk. We learn to walk like Jesus does. And whoever says that he abides in Christ, whoever claims to be a Christian ought to be learning to walk as Jesus did. You can actually tell if that claim is true, at least to some extent, by how someone lives. So for example, you know, if, if it came out that I, your, your wonderful pastor, <laughs> was getting drunk every weekend, right? I'm out there in the clubs in my VB singlet and, and yeah, right? Or... Or it came out that I was stealing money from this church or that I was cheating on my wife or whatever. I was making this habit of this particular sin in my life. Right? You wouldn't go, oh, but he's our pastor, right? <laughs> no, like I would expect and Rob would make sure that I'd be, I'd be dealt with on that, right? Like perhaps, perhaps gently at first, like, hey, brother, what's going on? But if I'm not turning around from that, like, oh, my goodness. Like, seriously, Dan, are you actually a Christian? Like, let alone a pastor, are you a Christian? We'd all be wondering that, right? 
this is what we're talking about. Jesus had a lot to say about hypocrisy like that. He actually used this metaphor of a cup. He said you know, to the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, uh, you are like a cup that is clean on the outside but dirty on the inside. Imagine if you came around to my house and uh, we have the beautiful air conditioning on a hot day like today and I say to you, hey, I'll get you a glass of water. Oh, thank you, that's great. And I give you the cup and it's all nice and clean on the outside but you look inside, it's caked with dust and filth. There's a cockroach leg just like... <laughs> stuck to the side you look down in the middle and it's like you know that when you've got a cold and you spit up it's like all this dried phlegm this is what Jesus is I know like disgusting I'm trying to show you though this is what Jesus is talking about he cares about holiness (laughs) the outside can look great the outside can be filled with a whole lot of religious words and going to church and whatever else but the inside can be absolutely disgusting and Jesus says that is no follower of mine whoever claims that he abides in in me ought to walk in the same way in which I walked it's not just about getting a ticket to heaven you know, here's a newsflash if you don't care about holiness you're going to hate heaven Holiness is going to be everywhere in heaven. It's going to be what heaven is. Uh, Again, J.C. Ryle uh, just has this, this great quote. He says, when an eagle is happy in an iron cage, is an eagle happy in an iron cage? When a sheep is happy in the water, when an owl is happy in the blaze of the noonday sun, when a fish is happy on dry land... Then, and not ten, then, till then, can I admit that an unsanctified person could be happy in heaven. So true. If you're thinking, hey, I've got my ticket to heaven, great. You're going to hate heaven if you don't care about holiness. Whoever claims to be in Christ must live as Jesus did, not perfectly, but bit by bit learning to walk. And again, Ryle has a few questions that I think are helpful to ask. Am I in the habit of agreeing with the will of God? Notice the word habit there. It's not just on one issue, on one thing, but am I, am I growing in my habitual agreement with what God says in his word? When I read the Bible, am I, am I going, yes, I, I want to agree with this at least. I want to, to bring myself under this. Um, or do you find yourself always wanting to pull back from the words of the Bible like, ah, oh, I'll get out of this in some way. Or you hear a sermon, you just go, oh, it doesn't fly to me. Am I in the habit of agreeing with the will of God? Am I learning to love what he loves and hate what he hates? Um, think about the implications for that in a world where the stuff God loves is the stuff the world hates and vice versa. Like if you want to lose friends, go to a dinner party and talk about sexuality and marriage and abortion and the exclusivity of Jesus, right? Bring those things up and you'll get kicked out. Am I learning to love what he loves? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Is it growing or is it stagnant or is it going backwards? Are you becoming more full of love for your brother and sister in Christ and expressing that in action? Are you becoming more eternally minded? They're sobering questions to answer, but these are, these are the sort of questions that in a holy life we're constantly being attentive to. Are you thinking about these things? And what follows from this is if someone says, yes, I, I want those things, I want to keep growing by God's help in these things, then what you have is a group of people saying, we have a holy God, we're committed to a holy life, bit by bit, and therefore, we can be a holy church. See, uh, when we talk about these five traits of a a biblical church, it's not in the abstract. They're not just titles that, you know, like we can, like we've got Grace, Truth, Growth, Family, Mission. Uh, It's not like you can just take gathered and put it up on the wall and now, great, we are gathered. If you've got an empty room, no, we're not. <laughs> you can't take um, uh, 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 giving, chuck it up on the wall, and great, now that's true of us. Well, no, not unless people are actually serving and giving and using their money and time and so on. Uh, so too for 
being a holy church. It's actually down to each of us in this room and each of us watching on the live stream and each of us at the 10.30 to say, I care about this. I'm going to keep growing in this and I'm going to help my brother and sister in front of me, behind me, to the left of me, to the right of me, to keep growing in this too. Uh, in fact, uh, the Greek word for church, give you a little lesson on this, is the word ecclesia, ecclesia. And it's made up of two parts, ek, meaning from, and klesia from kaleo, meaning called out or called. So what is the church? It's a called out from people. Called out from what? From sin, from Satan and his deceptions, from the ways of the world, from the old pattern of life. This is what it means to be the church. An ecclesia church is a church that is set apart, a church that is called out from sin, a church that is striving to be holy. And um, I was reading a book this week, um, Revitalize, Biblical Keys to Helping Your Church Come Alive Again by Andrew Davis. So I thought that's a pretty relevant read at the moment as we're coming out of COVID and sort of stepping into the next chapter as a church. How do we make sure that we, we continue to take steps towards life? Um, and um, he just had this, this passage. It's, it's quite long, but I think it's really helpful because he talks about a church that's on its way to death. Scary thought. A church that's on its way to closing its doors forever. And he says that that's because this church has drifted from holiness. Just have a read of, of what he says here. See what you think. At some point, that church ceased trembling at God's holiness. And its members began seeking to fill that emptiness with idols. They fell into secret patterns of sin. They began having conflicts with one another, as would carnal, worldly people. Their marriages began falling apart, sometimes because of adultery. They failed to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They busied themselves for the pursuit of money and other earthly goals. They became less discerning doctrinally and less passionate for biblical truth. They stopped reaching out with the gospel and started seeking the world's applause rather than the world's repentance. They forsook their first love and embraced the illicit love of the world. Ultimately, they began to wither and die. At our AGM a few weeks ago, Rob talked about the tale of two churches. And this picture here is the first church that he mentioned, the one that's on its way to closing its door forever because it's drifted from holiness. And look, I'll be honest, I do see some signs of this in our church. I don't say that to be mean, but for some of you, it's in this weird apathy about God and about living a holy life. It's, I'll go and, and ask you, hey, um, how's your walk with Jesus going at the moment, brother, sister? And I just get like the lights are on and, and nobody's home. And again, I'm not saying that to be mean, but, but what's going on there? If a church has lots of people like that, and I'm not saying that lots of us are like that, but if, if that's what a church is like, then this is what's going to happen. Without a real concern for a holy life with a holy God, we as a church will wither and die. But this is a tale of two churches. And there are also some really encouraging signs in this church that point more to a second picture, that point more to us being an ecclesia, a called out church. And if we zoom in on a, a picture of what that church is like, here's a couple of things we might see. This is a church, this ecclesia church, where the holiness of God, the infinite majesty of God can be seen in that church's preaching, 
and praying and singing and fellowshipping. I hope to see that increasingly true of this church, right? For the holiness of God, the majesty of God to be seen in the life of this church. It's a sort of church where a, a visitor walks in and they sense gravity. Uh, maybe still there's, there's fun, right, and family, but it's not flippant. There's gravity around who God is. It's, you know, they, they don't walk away just going, how funny was that guy doing the announcements? You know, wasn't that great? <laughs> or how good was the coffee? How good was the food? And great, you know, once we get started again with being able to do coffee and food, that, that'll be a good thing. Um, but, but hopefully, more than anything, they walk away in the words of, of 1 Corinthians 14 saying, um, uh, uh, God is really among you. They sense the holiness of God. That's one thing in this picture of the second church, the ecclesia, the holy church. Another is a genuine care for each other's souls. A genuine care. So um, more than just, it's nice to see you, how you're going, but a, a genuine care for the person sitting to my right and my left and in front of me and behind me. And this is the kind of care. Galatians 6 verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, so you, you who are concerned for holiness, you who are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, we care enough about each other's souls to talk about sin, is what that is. We care enough to talk about sin, how we're actually going in our walk with Christ in our continued repentance. That if, if one of you sees a sin in my life, something you're concerned about, let's put it that way, something you're concerned about, that you talk with me about it, and I with you, that that's actually just part of the conversation that we have as a church. And you know, one of the things that uh, Andrew Davis says is expect opposition to that. If a church is wanting to be this kind of church, expect that there will be people who want a hands-off approach to faith, who want to say this is private and no, we don't talk about these things. And they will say things like, who are you to talk to me about that? You're anti-grace. How dare you judge me? but God is a God of holiness. And if you're someone who genuinely wants to see yourself and this church grow in our purity and holiness, expect that kind of opposition. Don't be put off by it. It'll happen. But God does call us to talk honestly about the sin we see in each other's lives. He does call us to help restore each other in a spirit of, and catch the word there, gentleness. It's not judgmentalism, it's I'm concerned for your brother, I'm concerned for your sister. I'm gently wanting to help you with this. Um, Jesus actually cares about this so much that he gives a pattern in Matthew 18 of what to do with this. Uh, he says that if, you, uh, if someone has sinned against you, go and privately tell them. So there's that gentleness, go and share with them what, how you're feeling, what's happened. Uh, and then he says if they don't repent, right, just leave it, don't worry about it. No. <laughs> he says, go and take another witness. This is how much Jesus cares about this. And then if they still don't repent, take it to the church publicly. And then if they still don't repent, he says, cut out the infection. Treat them as an unbeliever. And I know that's confronting, but Jesus cares about the holiness of his church. And um, this is actually one of the things that I love about my growth group, honestly. That when we meet every week and we talk about the Bible together and then we break up as guys and girls, I know that those other guys in that room really have my back. I know that they're going to be honest with me, <laughs> and they have been when they see sin in my life and when they need to encourage me too, and I'm the same with them. That is so healthy and so good. That has been, honestly, that's been an anchor for me this year in such a strange year. Um, I want to see conversations like that happening all over our church. Hopefully you do as well. Uh, and with that in mind, I, I'd just like to finish by giving you something to do with this. We have a holy God who calls us to a holy life as a holy church. And if you look in your bulletin, right, uh, there's a ticket. And if you've got the ticket, you get a free, no. There's a, if you look in your bulletin, there's a, there's a, a the growth group notes there. Um, on the bottom right of the page, 
um, it has just three questions that you could ask someone else in this church. You could do it as a pair, you could do it as a group of three, whatever the case may be. And here's the questions, we're just gonna put them up. Is there an area of growth in either of our lives we can praise God for, right? So this is just having a talk about spiritual things. Um, is there an area of life, uh, area of growth in our lives we can praise God for? Is there any sin in either of our lives that we're choosing to continue in? It's an opportunity with someone you trust and know to be honest if there's sin in your life that you're struggling with and be honest with them, if, if maybe if you know them well, uh, that maybe you're observing something too. Uh, brother, sister, I have a concern. I've, I've noticed this and I'm curious about whether perhaps there is a pattern of sin there. What do you think? And then how can we pray for each other's growth in holiness? I bet if each of us picked one other person in this church that we know and trust and had that conversation this week, just for five or 10 minutes and introduce it how you want, right? Like, hey, can we talk about how we're going? Can we talk about our walk with Jesus? Can we do the stupid thing that Dan wants us to do? However you wanna do it, right? Um, if, if a bunch of us had that conversation, what a huge step forward. That's massive. What if we then had that same conversation a week later with the same person? How did you go with so-and-so? How can I keep praying with you? Gosh, that would be amazing. Let me really encourage you to do this. And, and on the flip side, uh, in this tale of two churches, if our response to something like this is just, uh, eh, eh, that's not important. I won't do that. We know where that church is heading. But... On the other hand, if we respond to something like this by saying, yeah, this matters, I'm going to talk about this with a brother or sister, then what God could do with us could be really, really exciting. Again, the sort of church that a visitor comes into and says, God is really among you. The sort of church that's ready to launch out into this community next year because we know we have a holy God who calls us to a holy life as a holy church. So um, that's the kind of church, honestly, that I'll give many more years to. Uh, and so let's pray now that we can continue to become that kind of church. Lord, um, you are holy and we bow before you and we pray, help us to see you for who you are increasingly. Uh, the God of all love, the God of all comfort, the God of holiness, and the God of justice. Help us, Lord, to live therefore with you um, as those who are called to be holy, to walk as Jesus did. Um, we all have sin in our lives that we continue to nurture and that we continue to, to struggle with. And so Lord, we pray, expose it, show us any offending way in us and help us to be honest with you and with a brother or sister about that, that we might become a church that is known for and lives in holiness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, and look, if you don't have anyone in church that you know and trust that you're willing to talk about those things with, I am more than happy, Andrew is more than happy, Rob is more than happy, um, uh, I know that Sky would be happy to talk as well, um, so please get in touch if you'd like to have that conversation with us, more than happy to. Uh, we're going to share in communion now, so um, if I could have the helpers please to distribute the, uh, the stuff. Um, this is a chance to reflect on the blood of Jesus spilt for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, the God of all grace, giving us all we need to stand confidently before a holy God. Um, so let's reflect on that together. Uh, you might take this time to reflect on your sin and what Christ has done for you and what he now calls you to. But if you could hold on to the, uh, the, uh, the cracker and the, the juice, open it perhaps before we all share together. And um, Laura and I are going to sing only a holy God as those things come around. night he was betrayed Jesus took bread and broke it 
and said to his disciples, this is my body. Take it and eat. Then he took some wine and said, this is my blood of the covenant spilled for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink. Thanks, Dan. That's, uh, that's amazing. I think we... Um can all say that we'd like to be part of a holy church, but uh, that requires of us to live a holy life. And if that's something that you find is not all that important to you, then perhaps um, it's uh, maybe your view of a holy God is not there. And uh, I'd encourage you to read back through the Bible, as you, as I know many of you do, and um, uh, view God. Try and find where the Bible's reaching out to you about how holy our God is, rather than just how loving he is. He is both. But sometimes, depending on your season of life, you can sway in one way or the other. But uh, it's good to hold both of those together. Um, look, I'm, we'll wrap up now uh, with uh, benediction. And uh, one I think is good for today is from Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. See you next week.